Thank you for joining us. This is Nuance, and I am Mike Scala, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop MC and the chair of BLM Tokyo, who I understand actually is in Tokyo this week. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I am finally in Tokyo, and it's been about three years since I've been up here in Tokyo. And, um, you know, everybody's looking like they're infected. I'm just like, yo, get away from me. Stay away. Give me space. <laughs> Everyone looks like they're infected. What do you mean? Because I've been out, I live out in the country. And so there's not a lot of people. And so like the whole COVID thing, you know, there's not so many people around. Um, it's easy to keep that distance. But Tokyo is a big city like New York. And so there's crowds, there's people everywhere. And it's just like, oh, my God, leave me alone. Get away from me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shock. <laughs> yeah. Well, my <laughs> Tokyo is a big, noisy city. And so we have an appropriate guest, Justin Zorn, who is an author. In fact, just came out with the book Golden. And let me get this title right. It's Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. Thank you for joining us, Justin. Good to be with you, Mike and Jay. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we want to talk about that. Last week, we actually alluded to it because we recapped this rally that we did out in the Rockaways for the Queen's Link, we call it, which is a plan to reactivate the old Rockaway beach line of the Long Island Railroad to improve transportation in the city. But a lot of that conversation is about noise, quite frankly, and how noisy are these trains going to be running through neighborhoods. So there's talk about light rail and new technology to kind of mitigate against some of those concerns. I know you wrote an op-ed in the Daily News with your co-author, uh, Lee Mars, on New York City itself being uh, too noisy, because the book is, is not just about New York City, obviously, it's, it's more general thing, but you wrote in the Daily News about New York City. So can you tell us why you think New York City is too noisy and why that matters? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. The New York Daily News piece was about why noise really actually matters for our health and our ability to think. And that it's not just your imagination, like the city actually is louder than it's ever been. There's a researcher who looked at the sound of fire engines in 1912, and they got up to 96 decibels when you were standing 11 feet away. And then by 1974, it was 114 decibels at the same dis distance. The last time they did that research in 2019, fire engine sirens were, were 123 decibels. So it might not sound like a huge increase, but since decibels are on this you know, logarithmic scale, 90 decibels is actually 10 times as much sound pressure as 80 decibels. So it's twice as loud to the ears. Mm. So fire engines are like a really good proxy for how noisy things actually are, because they have to be loud enough, you know, to break through the surrounding soundscape. Right, so, right. yeah, so we've been looking in this book. It's about the power of silence, about silence, why silence matters for our ability to hear one another, you know, our ability to think clearly in our health. And uh, so we looked, you know, even though New York is, you know, of course, like baked into the DNA of the city, you know, screeching subways and roaring garbage trucks and those hydraulic bus lifts and barking dogs and, you know, jackhammers, the whole thing, stand clear of the closing doors. Like it actually is louder than it's ever been. And you have to, and that's compounding all the noise that we're dealing with when you think about, you know, dealing with devices, dealing with always on kind of culture. So it's a cognitive overload that adds another level to the auditory overload. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I'm curious, 
with with decibels, just to give kind of a, a, a comparison, if you're aware, what's a, a good or safe decibel level for our hearing? Did that ever come up in the research? You know, it, you know, levels like what we're talking about with uh, a city fire truck is, uh, is pretty dangerous, is my understanding. Right. I don't know the exact levels. I haven't been looking at that so much in the research. But, um, you know, but a lot of the research I've seen from the World Health Organization based on those standards, for example, we're showing that nine out of 10 adults in the city were exposed to levels that the EPA considers harmful to health. Wow. That's a really interesting point, because when I was in school, I would hear my teachers always complaining about noise pollution. But it was always about the class being too noisy. Like if we were outside at recess, they would yell at us, hey, you're causing noise pollution. And I didn't really understand what that meant. What do you mean noise pollution? It's not like putting smoke in the air. What does that mean? But you kind of hit on it there. Like the EPA says it's unhealthy to be around that much noise. Yeah, exactly. It was like 150 years ago, you know, Florence Nightingale, the famous British nurse, was running a hospital during the Crimean War. And the hospital, the conditions in the hospital were just like totally atrocious. There was like gangrene gone unattended and, the, you know, just awful sanitary conditions. And amidst all of that, she was super focused on the issue of the noise. And people at the time thought she was crazy for it. But she said unnecessary noise is the most cruel absence of care that could be inflicted on a person either sick or well. Mm. And like in the 150 years since then, like, all this peer-reviewed research has verified that what she was saying was basically that noise drives the fight-or-flight response in, a, in the nervous system, which inhibits healing, and it also increases risk of heart disease and stroke and depression. You know, and to what you were saying about the, you know, noise, noise pollution in schools, in the 1970s, there was an um, environmental psychologist named Arlene Bronzeft who looked at the scores of... Um, of Manhattan middle school students whose classrooms were exposed to elevated subway tracks. And they the, the classrooms that were directly exposed to that noise, which was pretty high decibel, lagged up to a full year behind the students who were in the quieter classrooms. So it was like, yes, it was that fight or flight response that was driven by the, the actual volume of the noise, but it was also that the interruption broke the student's concentration and then undermined their ability to follow the lessons and, you know, keep a coherent progression of thought. Wow. And you do hear things often like New Yorkers are always in such a hurry. They're always overstressed. They're, you, know, you would think probably that noise, just that whole environment, that noisy environment that we live in contributes greatly to that. I would imagine if it wasn't so noisy and we didn't have all this external stimuli, we'd be able to relax more, right? I would imagine that like if that fight or flight response is constantly being triggered, um, you know, you're going to also end up with some sort of adrenal fatigue at, at some point, um, which could, again, contribute to mental health issues or to being just tired or aggravated or irritated all of the time. That's a big issue, Jay. Yeah, the, um, you know, there was a study of whales actually right around the time of 9-11 whales in the bay of fundy in canada and they would actually like look at the like whale excrement like how much cortisol was in there and after shipping stopped briefly after 9-11 
there was this rapid drop in the cortisol levels. And all of a sudden the whales started like singing again and they could hear each other. You know, and whales are mammals like us. There haven't been large scale studies because you can't do a study, you know, consistently tracking the noise levels of persons exposed to, um, you know, over that much time. Um, so the whales were like a pretty good proxy for a lot of different mammals, what the effects of noise on the cortisol levels in the body over a long time would be. Mm. So, you know, and it's added to, like I was mentioning before, you know, not just the auditory noise, but the informational noise and the internal noise. I mean, think about how, you know, when Eric Schmidt was CEO of Google in 2010, he said that every two days, we now create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization until 2003. Wow, that's a lot. That's crazy. Wow. It's like, man, so it's like the, the human beings upward bounds of how much information we could take in hasn't increased all that much, if at all. So it's like we're dealing with, you know, not just increased auditory noise, especially in big cities, but the increased informational noise. Right. Then, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, I know you have to go in a few minutes. Before you do, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what we can do. I mean, what are the solutions here to make a less noisy society? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. Man. In the New York Daily News piece that we wrote, you know, we look at some of what's been happening in the city and in New York State. In 2007, the city really started taking the issue seriously. And um, it was the first time in 30 years that New York overhauled the actual noise ordinance code. So, um, you know, it, it worked on basically creating standards and fines around construction, for example, that would happen too late at night. There's been some stuff around like subwoofers, um, you know, but the main thing is there's not really too much application of those fines when it comes, for example, to after hours, late night construction, you know, ends up being kind of a who, you know, question sometimes. Um, so that that's part of it. There's some work happening now around, um, you know, to the question around decibel levels, decibel levels in some restaurants, for example, being actually beyond the levels that could damage hearing. So looking at some ways to, to you know, have some ordinances around some of those issues. Justin, I don't know if you saw, but New York State recently passed a law that now requires cop cars to have decibel readers in them. And they're actually setting uh, limits on the no amount of noise that's allowed. Whereas before, it was a very subjective thing. And there was really no way of measuring it objectively. Now, at least they're trying to quantify it in some ways. That's a really good step, for sure. Yeah. And this, yeah, you go now, I was going to say that in, in, in regards to, to a law like that, um, and I'm seeing in, in news recently, I think it might have been in Florida, where they're going to be uh, checking decimal levels coming out of cars. And like, if we can hear your radio um, one car away, then, you know, you can get a ticket for it, which is really still very low. And they're using it to kind of attack um, people in their cars listening to music, which tends to be younger generational people playing their music or in minority neighborhoods where they, they roll around with certain things. So like it can be used to uh, attack these these younger or minority um, situations, um, demographics. Do you see anything connection to that type of stuff in your, Absolutely. your research? Yeah, Jay, I'm really glad you raised this. I mean, there was an Atlantic article recently called Why Rich People Love Quiet that pointed out that efforts to control noise you know, can sometimes have really serious negative effects and just reflect the preferences of, you know, privileged and powerful communities in a place. 
So I'm actually not a big advocate for that kind of thing you're talking about. Like, I don't think that would actually be so helpful. I think dealing with industrial noise, dealing with these kinds of pervasive noises that are really driving most of this fight or flight response is the real issue. You know, it's not about changing, you know, trying to enforce change in a community. But the biggest, the focus of this book, Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise that we wrote, is really, for the most part, how we think about moving beyond a society that equates constant, constant barrage of information as with progress. You know, mm -hmm. the way we measure GDP, for example, isn't just how much industrial stuff we're creating. It's how much sound and stimulus and data we're creating. But that's often not what's most conducive to human thriving. You know, it's often times of pristine attention when we're beyond the noise of the modern world, when we're happiest, you know, when we're playing with our kids or getting time in a park or in nature, you know, or, or making, you know, a piece of art or music or something like that. So really, our focus in the book is, you know, how do we get beyond a world that's obsessed with more and more noise in the sense of industrial noise, you know, in the sense of needing to fill the space often. So we look, for example, at, you know, what can be done around industrial noise and some of those examples I was talking about, construction noise. But one of the important things, you know, relevant to New York, for example, is like thinking about what employers could do to reduce the noise of modern life in an office, you know, whether that's managing the volume in an open plan office or creating quiet spaces where people can rest and nap and take breaks, or also giving workers the right to disconnect from email and laptops and phones and, you know, other kinds of electronic tethers after the workday's ended. Because the noise isn't just jackhammers. You know, the noise is that need to stay always connected. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so not just auditory noise, but just, just like you said, being connected all the time. And on the auditory, I did look it up real quick here. Um, the EPA and the WHO recommend maintaining an environmental noise level below 70 dBA. And the um, uh, Miracle Ear, which is that company that does uh, hearing aids, uh, they said that you should only have exposure to decibels above 100 uh, for 15 minutes. So you're talking about in the cities, there's some of these decibel levels are incredibly high and people are having constant exposure. That's, you know, sounds like it can be a recipe for disaster for people and yeah here. we've got we've got more about that in the book it wasn't coming the numbers weren't coming to me offhand but there's a little bit more about you know how to understand the decibel levels in different cities and and why this is the top complaint for new yorkers and people in so many cities so right. it's really about respecting human attention Right. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say that. that. It seems like a lot of it really is internal. As a society, we just need to do better in respecting boundaries and just being cognizant of the fact that too much noise in more forms than one is harmful to us. And let's, you know, I think the first step is recognizing that. And then we can internally, collectively as a people, just say, hey, we're going to be more respectful of this. Exactly. Could that also be, you know, um, you know, this idea of silence or this idea of quiet and that being able to have that peaceful time also lends to um, how effective things like meditation can be when you sit in silence and, and try to tune out all that noise to, you know, allows you not just your, um, you know, the, your ears, but your internal things to calm down and relax. I know you got to go um, here, uh, Justin. 
I know we wanted to briefly say if you've got a second here, um, someone in the chat said, I'm used to the noise. It usually doesn't bother me. Do we actually really get used to it? It's a really good question because I notice that when I'm in noisy places. But, you know, this insight Florence Nightingale had all those years ago and the research that's come since shows that it really does drive that fight or flight response. And over the long run, that has impacts, you know, with respect to heart disease, with respect to insomnia, with respect to depression and anxiety. And it's things we can't always tell, can't always see. You know, with what you said, Jay, just before I run, the um, the book we think of as a kind of non-meditator's guide to getting beyond the noise. Mm. I've been, uh, I worked on Capitol Hill in DC with the Congressional Progressive Caucus and Congressional Black Caucus for many years on, on policy issues. And I started up a meditation program on Capitol Hill. And so that's my background, teaching meditation in addition to public policy and economic policy. And for me, it was like, I see so many people who just beat themselves up for not meditating enough, you know, or don't keep up the practice or this and that. So this book, Golden, is really a non-meditator's guide to getting beyond the noise. Like, how do we not need all the rules and tools of silence of, of meditation, but just tune into the silence where we can find it? That sounds like a good thing, too. Well, um, said. so the book is called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. I think Jay was going to ask where it's available. It's yeah. wherever books are sold. It's uh, it's coming out in uh, 14 languages, thankfully. And uh, it's HarperCollins in the U.S. So you can find it on Amazon or Bookshop. Um, yeah, really uh, good to be with you guys. Excellent. And Justin Zorn, thank you so much for joining us. Take care, guys. Be Bye-bye. well. You, you too. too. You. Oh, yeah. Um, Alexa's asking, is it on Kindle? I imagine it is on Kindle. Um, yeah, I imagine it is on Kindle. What was the name of that again, Mike? It's called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. I'm actually, yeah, I'm on the Amazon site right now. It is available on Kindle. Okay. Could, uh, share screen this maybe so you can see. Absolutely. Did that come up? The Amazon site? Yeah. Okay. There yeah, it is. It is on Kindle. There you see. It looks like audio CD as well. Yep. So that's um very interesting. Um and and you mentioned, like you said, when you were younger, um you remember teachers talking about um, you know, noise pollution, noise pollution. And it was a big topic uh, at one point. Um, and, you know, apparently it has an effect. I mean, I think anything, any kind of long-term constant stimulation will have uh, an effect on us, whether we recognize it consciously or not. It's something right. That- and that's the thing, you know, it was mentioned in the chat that the noise doesn't bother them because they're used to it, but that could be a problem, right? Like when we become so desensitized to these negative signals, I mean, it doesn't make it healthy just because we're used to it. Actually, that could be a bad thing to get used to something that's having a negative effect on us. Right. We can kind of tune some of those things out, but it doesn't mean it's not still there. Like it's still right. digging in at the at your, your subconscious and at your nerves and at your adrenals. And like I said, the, he was saying the fight or flight response I mean, to make a crude analogy, it's like someone building a tolerance to alcohol. They say, well, now I can drink uh, a ton of alcohol and it doesn't bother me. But what are you doing to your body? You're getting used to it, maybe, like, you know, on on a surface level. But what's happening inside? It doesn't mean that it's healthy. Absolutely. So it sounds like, um, 
you know, there's some things that we should think about as far as we should keep those things in mind when when building or when creating our, our societies and planning communities to try to, you know, allow people to have that that lower levels that can um, allow them to relax and whatnot. Liver psoriasis, yeah. Yeah, that tolerance to alcohol will build up, right. build up liver psoriasis. So, so it's an interesting study. And, and interesting yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you always hear that. I mean, even their hip hop songs have come to mind. But it was a song, Slum Village, Selfish. I think they talked about New York women are way too fresh, with too much on your mind. Like it's it's a thing. Like people acknowledge that New Yorkers right. is almost like a stereotype even, but there's truth to it that we just have so much going on because of all that noise. And it isn't just loudness, right? Like we talked about. It's just all of that stimulation that we were always bombarded with. And right. it does have an effect on us. And I, I really believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because if it's if it's constant barrage of everything, like can your 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 nervous system and you know all of that really relax, you know, like you're constantly being stimulated and it's going to be paying attention to some of these things at some level. So why don't we ask a poll question based on this conversation about whether people personally feel affected by the noise levels of New York City? All right, go for it. Oh, it's on me. I was hoping that you would just kind of like run with that. All right. Let me, <laughs> let me think of how I could phrase it then. Uh, all right, let's 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 freestyle this one. The poll question of the week is, do you personally feel affected emotionally or mentally by the noise levels that are prevalent in New York City? I think that's a pretty good question there. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll put some links into to the book and to the, um, the article, the op-ed that he wrote. And he, he has actually a couple, he mentioned briefly the Washington Post one, um, but there's also one he wrote for um, Time Magazine um, that I guess we didn't get a chance to. But again, this is his thing talking about silence, to how listening to silence chains, uh, changes our brains. That's a Time article. And uh, the Washington Post one is, uh, we once had a law to defend a human, defend human attention. So there's a noise control ordinance to um, kind of require there be, you know, certain levels of, uh, or below certain I levels, I assume. We all should just unplug every once in a while also. Try to go a day without using your smartphone so much. Or, you know, I'm not yeah. saying don't have it. It might be good for emergency purposes or what have you, but try not to be on it so much. I mean, and, and try to force yourself, like say this day, next Tuesday or whatever, I'm not going to use my device. I'm going to enjoy the weather or, or act like it's pre-smartphone era again. You know, I think that could be helpful too. Right. And in the, in the chat, Lixa said that um, they're trying to get out of NYC at least once a month to book a cabin in an isolated area on, on Airbnb. And, you know, it's good to be able to wind down or, or do something like that. Um, and there might even be places that are, you know, maybe out on, on Long Island or whatnot that are away from that hustle and bustle that people can yeah. go just kind of wind down and chill even you know getting over to uh, the, the beach maybe there's some beach areas on the rockaways you know that people can just go and just chill and you know right even lake george which isn't that far away i went there a couple of years ago did some kayaking you know <laughs> took some pictures of me on the phone like taking phone meetings on a kayak for a change of pace but it is that it's that change of scenery and just you know getting away from like you said like the the hustle and bustle of the big city. I think that's helpful. You were kayaking? I never, well, you said, do I go kayaking? Yeah, I said, you went kayaking? I, I did. Well, well, here's what I did. I stayed at this resort on Lake George and they literally had kayaks that you could just take and just use. Like, you don't have to sign them out or anything. They were just laying there, like for the guests. And, and it's on the lake. 
So I just took one of the kayaks and launched it into the lake and went for a little bit. It was cool. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just can't imagine you kayaking. Really? Know. Yeah. Like you would just look at it and be like, nah, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I found it relaxing actually, but I do prefer jet skiing because I'm more of, I guess, that luxury type dude. I don't know, but uh, you know, jet skiing is easier to do than kayaking, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, you, you have to put in some manual effort on, on jet skiing. I mean, not jet skiing. Well, more so on the kayak, but but believe it or not, jet skiing long distances does require you to be in shape because you have to hold hold that position for a long time. Well, it also is a, is hell on your butt because uh, that jet ski, when you hit them waves, just like starts pounding you. It's just, yeah. Yeah, you also get drenched and you need plenty of suntan lotion also. I found that out the hard way. I was getting like sunburn on my feet, like from the, the, the waves were bouncing everywhere. It was, you know, it was nuts yeah that's crazy but uh all right so we just did the poll question we kind of winged it let's look at the poll results from last week because i thought they were interesting yeah actually that was a recycled poll question so really we originally asked it two weeks ago but we put it up on our stories over this past week so we have results now that we can share right yeah and that was um i'd say we had the probably the most comments of any uh poll that we put up um on on youtube with with this one um as far as just comments and responses um and the poll for people that might not remember is should selling new gas cars be banned by 2035 um do you agree oops there we go um and overwhelmingly on the on the youtube poll it was no in the comments yeah I actually got a comment here. I posted mine to Facebook and Instagram. I've got my results and I'm going to share the combined result as well. But I did have a comment on Facebook that I wanted to share. It was kind of a thought that I had as well. Really, a lot of this is in the approach and the details, right? How is this going to be done? I think there's a lot of cynicism as right. to it can be accomplished by 2035 if these milestones can be met. What's it going to look like? Given where we are now, we, we just, I think we seem so far away from that though it is a laudable goal to move towards electric and obviously help the environment. We're talking about noise pollution. This obviously is another form of pollution that's very important to keep under control. But here is a comment that I received from by uh, Kevin Flaherty on Facebook. He says, 100% not possible in the city. How many car owners live in apartment buildings? How many in New Yorkers rent? Where are they slash we supposed to charge our cars? I don't see landlords adding charging stations to their rental properties. I see the few electric car owners from Dayton Towers charging their cars daily at Stop and Shop on 72nd. Either Dayton Towers or Dayton Beach Park, he just said Dayton, but he means the complexes in Rockaway. Mm -hmm. What is the plan? Where is the plan to add infrastructure or does the city plan on doing it the way they do everything else, put a rule in place, let the public figure it out? So there's cynicism there. And I think a lot of that cynicism is well-founded. Uh, no, I agree. I think um, the, you know, like you said, that there's, a lot of um, questions around how how this is going to be implemented, how it's going to work, and and make that happen. Because, yeah, like that was a good point. Like, where are they going to put them? Especially people living in the city, where where the charging station is going to go? There's already uh, a lack of extra space in the city. Um, you know, where are you going to do to add these things? Or I guess they would have to be added on at gas stations. Uh, well, we don't know how that technology is going to work. I mean, it does take longer to charge up your car. 
and it does to fill it up with gas. Now, I know that there are advances in technology to make it quicker. We we looked at some of that, but it's still a pretty long process. And you can have long lines, I would think, unless you could somehow streamline that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we looked at it before. Someone said something like it was like 30 minutes to to do a full charge or something like that. That's like a super fast one, right? I mean, I think the ones you get at most people like their house do it overnight, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And so, you know, gas at the gas stations five minutes so if you people are charged trying to charge up at rush hour um you know you're just it's not going to work you're going to have a backlog like really crazy so they're going to have a lot to deal with between now and 2035 in order to uh make this something that's really viable right and we have to look at which areas will be disproportionately affected rockaway for example always seems to get the short end of the stick this is going to be another example of that we're always behind on infrastructure. We're, we're fighting for infrastructure upgrades. You know, what if this becomes a, a mandate by 2035 and we don't have that infrastructure in place, in, in a place like Rockaway for anyone to, to do it? We already have bad public transportation as we, we rallied over last week, right? And, right. and now you're going to take away gas cars and electric cars, as we know, are a lot more money. So it seems like this could be a recipe for disaster unless it's done the right way. But as of now, there doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence in achieving that just based on where we are. And I guess based on the history of some of these things. Right. Yeah. And then um, as uh, Fury brought up in the, the interview, as far as and we talked about it as well, about the cost. A lot of electric cars are more expensive than than gas powered vehicles right now. So are those costs going to come down. The cost of ownership going to come down. Um, you know, how long are those batteries good for? Do we have to change those out? Um, like. There's a lot of questions, and I'm 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 sure that the people who are pushing for this are probably aware of this type of information. You would hope, um, and they're probably in plans in place um, to kind of. I'm going to keep it real, Jay. I, honestly, I truly believe most of the people pushing for this don't drive and have a certain disdain for people who do drive. <laughs> um, there's probably a few people like that as well. Um, I think there's. I mean, we also know there is an environmental issue here. Component component of it and uh, reliance on on gasoline and the pollution that comes out of those uh, gas powered vehicles is a big thing, especially in the midst of climate change and, and the rising extremes in weather. So, I mean, that's something that we have to look at. Yes. And also, there's a there's another component as well to it. If if we're off of gas cars, that reduces the power of regimes like Saudi Arabia and these places in the Middle East that um, could be funding these terrorist organizations as well, that, um, you know, that, that can play into that as well. They have less money to, to toss around. Um, there could be some benefits there as well. I, I do think we need to get off oil, right, in the long yeah. run. But, yeah. but I do think also, like I mentioned last week, a lot of this is just about the way you talk about the issue. If it was, mm-hmm. we're moving towards electric cars or electric vehicles, I think you might be met with less cynicism than we're going to ban gas cars by this year. It's, everything is, is put in terms of the negative, which immediately just brings out that negative attention from people, especially when you put it in the context of everything else going on. I mean, the, the congestion pricing, lack of good tra- public transportation, the 24-7 speed cameras. It just seems like another punitive measure or something against the people as opposed to, hey, let's as a society all move towards this new goal. It's, it just seems like we're saying we're going to punish you more. We're going to hit you with more fines if you don't comply. We're going to make it harder on you. You know, it just it, it seems like the conversation is framed in the negative. 
I think every, I think one of the first steps in that before, you know, get into, we're going to ban all sales of gas cars would be, you know, let's, let's make all new sales of cars be hybrids. Right. So, but again, the price is still going to have to come down because even hybrids are more expensive. Um, but it's a, it's a, a halfway step to get there. So, um, and then, you know, there's, other questions as well. I mean, just because it's an electric vehicle doesn't mean there's zero pollution. Like, what about the materials that they use to make the batteries? And what about the waste of the batteries? Is that something that can be dealt with? How does that work? Um, and again, these questions are probably above <laughs> uh, you well, know, my understanding and pay grade, but um, they're probably, I would imagine that those studies have been done. And whatnot. But what is the phrase, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good? Okay, that sounds. sounds <laughs> I think that's the phrase, right? Like, meaning if you have something that's an improvement, right? It's, it's an improvement. Don't say it has to be perfect, or we're not going to do it. So I don't think right. you can ever get to zero pollution. But if you right. can substantially reduce it, that's a step in the right direction. And we need to keep moving towards that. It's absolutely. like strive towards perfect. No, you're never going to get there exactly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's good. It's a good look. Um, but it just says again, there's there's so much work that needs to be done to make this um, something where all of these, a lot of these questions are answered and it's not such a hardship on other people while being able to do something for the environment. Right. And again, I, th I brought it up the other time. This is kind of, I would imagine this kind of question that this kind of thing that they're going through is similar to when people were thinking about, you know, cars in the beginning and okay, well, how are we going to fuel them? Um, you know, that means there's going to have to be gas stations like every 10 miles or so. We're going to have to fill the country with this. And so, that same type of planning is, I guess, what we're looking at now, just in regards to um, electrical charging stations. Yeah, I mean, except back then, I think we got things done quicker and more efficiently as a society. Even our governments worked better back then, right? I mean, look at how like long it took to build the Empire State Building versus you know today trying to get something of that magnitude done. It's, I think it's we're in a different time. Yeah, but um, you know, it's. It, the planning, someone has to have that big thought to yes, um, I agree. to put it in, into motion. I mean, you know, we've got electricity, the whole nation is wired. And, um, you know, just the thought of having to, of building that network, imagine sitting down like, okay, look, we got electricity. Imagine sending wires across the whole country. What? There's like 4,000 miles across here. Like, are you crazy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do it between each each area, every home is going to be wired. Like, that's just ridiculous. That's, you know. So. But given where we are now, is 2035 realistic to meet that goal? And can it be done? Can these concerns that you brought up be met? Or are we going to be dealt with the situation where it's, yes, it's going to be this regulation that we have to deal with and it's just too expensive for everyone and people can't get around it anymore. Yeah, that's, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that coming up. Yeah. So here are the numbers. I guess I should mention the numbers on my poll. On Facebook, and again, the question is, do you agree that the sale of new gas cars should be banned by 2035? Facebook, 17% yes, 83% no. Mm. Instagram, 8% yes, 92% no. Mm. And then when you combine the two, it was 11% yes, 89% no. Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, it tracks. I think, I think, again, I think it's probably people need answers to these questions and just uh just saying oh we're banning them by 2035 doesn't answer anything it just it's like okay well what what are you doing what, what about everything else 
So there needs to be more communication in that regard to let people know what it right. is that's coming. And I think saying 2035 kind of sounds meaningless to some people. I mean, it's, honestly, it's not that far away. Again, when you think of it in terms of how government works, it might sound like a long time, but, but it's not. I mean, you might as well say, can we, can we ban the gas cars by tomorrow or by next year? I mean, I just to people, it's like it's a, it's a shock. Like we're nowhere near close to that goal. How are we going to get there? It's such a short time. Absolutely. Well, I guess we're about to see. Uh, but yeah, in the YouTube, like I said, YouTube poll, like it was 100% no. Um, Facebook poll, I don't remember the, but it was, I think it was, there were a couple of yeses, but the majority was no. Overwhelmingly, people were no. So. But I also think if you start looking at who's saying yes, it's going to be mostly people who don't drive at all. It could be, but there's also people who recognize that, you know, the, so we have a pollution problem. Sure, um, oh, sure. Climate problem. We have, uh, you know, a fossil fuels problem. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> oh, that's a good, that right there, that's a good plan right there. Um, in the chat, Lixus said, need to stock up on a few gas cards and hold them to sale, sell after 2035. So go through and buy a bunch of them now after 2035, mm. you might have a, you know, some- Well, let's electric. buy them all in 2034 and then flip them. We can buy yeah, them like, on, New, on New Year's Eve, yeah, right? Like, before, or something. And, then, and then sell them. And, and they're technically used cars, right? But they just <laughs> never driven. So that's a hustle. Yeah. Uh-oh. She's in that hustling, trying to get paid. For the record, I don't condone that because I do take this environmental concern seriously. I just have questions, as many do, about right. the rollout and how this is going to be implemented and, you know, hoping that we don't end up getting the short end of the stick again, as we do in Rockaway and parts of South Queens and certain parts of the city, uh, as we deal with time and time again. And, and, you know, here's another example of that front page of the way, fighting for the Queens link. And I do want to shout out our local media outlets that covered the rally that we did. It was the front page of the wave, recognizing, of course, the importance of this issue. It was from the Rockaway Times, as well as the page three of the Rockaway Times. You can see a story about the rally there. It was Queen Chronicle as well. It says, bottom left corner, not the way. Supporters push rails over trails. And then you go to page four of the Queen's Chronicle. And here you go. You can see the rally covered page four of the Queen's Chronicle. So the local media, in South Queens definitely recognized it for the issue that it is. I was a little bit disappointed to see a lack of coverage from some of the other media outlets, namely the news channels. I would have liked to see New York One there. I'd like to see PIX11 and Eyewitness News and some of the big outlets as well. You know, shout out to Assembly Member Khalil Anderson, who was, of course, at the rally. Uh, we go way back with him. He posted on Twitter that some of these news outlets were finally able to find Rockaway on the map when more violence occurred. It was an attack on the subway. Now they're all out there, right? But why aren't they out there? This is my question. Why aren't they all out there when we do a rally for the Queen's Link, for example, which would be an, an example of, of a more positive story, but also a story that just doesn't revolve around violence and sensationalism. Maybe that's the answer to the question. But I do think that we should kind of hold people's feet to the fire and say there's more to Rockaway than that. Why do you only find Rockaway on a map when something bad happens? Right. Yeah. Um, and we, we mentioned that before. Um, Jesus Christ, it's going to mess with me. There's a, a, a lyric, I think, by Anderson Pock that, that mentioned that. Um, I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, people have had that, that issue 
um, with media before, like, you know, why are you only um, covering negative news stories? If it bleeds, it leads. That's the quote. I'm sorry? The quote that you often hear is, if it bleeds, it leads. Oh. Okay. So, yeah, that's right. The, the Anderson Pot quote from the, the song from Dr. Dre, Animals, um, he says, uh, and please don't come around these parks. Uh, the only uh, tell me we're all a bunch of animals. The only time they want to turn the cameras on is when we're we're messing stuff up. Mm. So, but that's a real problem. Um, I mean, it's funny because I even had the comment internally amongst the Queens Link folks. So I was like, all right, we're trying to get these media outlets to the rally. Don't be surprised if a lot of them don't show up because they think Rockaway is too far. And that's exactly what we were out there rallying for: better transportation to and from the Rockaways. But a right. lot of them, you know, we say this all the time, they can't find Rockaway on the map. It's not that they literally can't find it, it's that they don't go there. And, and as a result, there's a lot of ignorance that stems from that. That's why they'll call the entire peninsula far Rockaway, or they'll think it's all, that's why when it comes to, for example, going back to the train issue, you're, you're pushing for this train, you have a lot of people who have ignorance about the Rockaways. They call it the Rockaway Beach Line, or they hear that it was the Rockaway Beach Line. They think that means that all these people from far Rockaway who are committing these crimes that are on the news are going to be coming through their town because they're not getting a full picture of what Rockaway actually is. Let me ask the question. Um, do these media companies uh, and, and news stations, do they not have correspondence in the Rockaways? Correspondence in the Rockaways? <laughs> like, like people that are, that cover that beat um, and, and spend time out there regularly. I mean, no. No, you you might get lucky and find someone who works for one of these outlets who's from the Rockaways or is familiar with it, but there's there's not like a Rockaway person assigned to, you know, eyewitness news. Right. I'm just saying, I'm just thinking because, you know, you think in places like Queens and in Brooklyn, there's, you know, there's regular coverage of these spots. And and part of it could be because there's easy access to get there to these stories. But... um, it's a real problem. I mean, even campaigning, you know, we go back to, all right, so, you know, we should run for office on the idea of better transportation. And we've, of course, done that and we've had success doing that. And that's all good. But then you try to get more people to come in and help you with the campaign. And what do they tell you? Uh, we don't campaign down there because it's too, it takes too long for us to get there. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, the whole campaign is on this idea of better transportation, but you can't even run the campaign to do that because- right. People can't get to you to even help you with the campaign. You know what I mean? Like it, it's you're stuck. It's like we're, we're really cut off in, in multiple ways here, and it's really costing us. Right. I I don't know if you could hear the background noise. There was a vacuuming going on. I don't know. Sorry if anyone no, can hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm in the hotel, so. Okay. Yeah. Nice hotel. I hope. Um, it's a regular regular hotel in in Japan. You know, it's not too big. So like like we mentioned at the top, I'm up here in Tokyo for a couple of days. Um, yeah, so why don't you talk about that? What do you go to in Tokyo? Uh, well, yeah, I came up to Tokyo that um, I did two, I was guest speaker at two classes at Temple University Japan yesterday. Um, the first one was talking about American social movements and the second one was the significance of race in America. And, um, you know, we had, we had some good discussions. Um, they were talking about things like, you know, uh, conditions of uh, African-Americans in, in the U.S., uh, racism in the U.S., uh, BLM, um, 
also how BLM Tokyo got together. Because um, actually it was started, the, the, the foundations of it was from a student at Temple University in Japan um, started that first March that kind of kicked a lot of things off. And so, um, yeah, we talked about a few things like that and they're covering other stuff like, you know, defund the police and council culture and, you know, these types of stuff. So they brought me in to, to speak to the class. And I actually spoke to one of the classes previously back in June, but it was a, a remote because I wasn't in Tokyo. And this time I'm up here because today, this afternoon, I'm supposed to be doing a TED talk. So, um, yeah. So, so what is the TED talk on? Um, TED talk is on, uh, so the theme is, is sub rosa, which is a Latin phrase, which means basically behind the, behind the scenes, done in secret or behind closed doors. And so I'm gonna be talking about what prevents people some of the things that prevent people from taking action or contributing to a cause. And a lot of times it can be, you know, fears and doubts and concerns and cynical thoughts um, that prevent them from getting involved. And I wanna talk about and show that this is very normal, it's common. And even people who do get involved have these same thoughts. You know, Dr. King had, had some of these thoughts before even getting involved. He was actually reluctant to even get involved in the first place. And um, just, you know, talk about that and that, but people still need to, to jump in and get involved. So. Yeah. I mean, do you touch on lack of transportation being a reason people get involved in these fights? I have not, you know, mainly, I've, you know, stuff like uh, they haven't, um, they don't, they don't know where to start or they uh, fear failure or they are, they have doubts about their own ability to to get in or be able to contribute anything or just about anything being effective like you know right. you always hear nothing ever changes or why vote or this always stays the same and so and to be honest i i share some of those doubts even if i do work and you know we've done marches together and like we still have those things like you know is this going to really do anything because you know, especially with racism and discrimination, we're seeing rises of that in the U.S. And even though all this this work has been done, it's like how we're seeing increases in it. So every step right. back brings that back up for people. You know, well, it's like this rally that we just did. I mean, I kind of have the same feeling. Like it feels right. great to be out there protesting a rally and getting all the speakers, and it's like it's a great event, good coverage. But then you all go home and you face the reality. Okay, but $35 million was still allocated for this park plan. I mean, no matter how much screaming we do about it, right? Right, that was still done. But I will say this, and I don't want to give anything away, but there has been a positive result at coming from that. You know, now we're right. in more rooms, now certain things are, are moving that weren't before. So uh, I do think that it does help. I mean, even if it, it may not be immediate or what we expect or want it to be the more we do, the more results we see over the long run. Absolutely. And that, and that's that's kind of what I point to, um, I'm going to point to in the talk this afternoon. And it, I, I liken it to this quote that I like from um, from Lao Tzu. Well, I used two Lao Tzu quotes the, who wrote the Tao Te Ching. And the first one is, um, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. So regardless of what you feel, what you fear, concern or whatever, you have to still, that first step needs to happen for any action to go. But there's also a quote from Lao Tzu that's uh, every every step is on the path, which is not really quoted as often. But if you take a macro view of these types of movements or these issues, then 
every it means every action everything even so successes and failures and setbacks all of it is a step on that path towards that ultimate goal so even you know in the fight for the rockaways like you said you know 35 million was allocated and even though you're doing these these rallies and stuff but there has been some progress on it there has been a couple of different things and so all this can contribute to moving forward uh on the issue it's that that sustained uh pressure and action that that can ultimately make something change in the long run right yeah no absolutely even even thinking about when we sent that letter to the mayor and the governor signed by those 15 elected officials i saw on twitter someone was impressed they're like wow how'd you get 15 elected officials to come out in favor of your project and i was thinking to who these elected officials were these are folks that we've known for a long time and we've been talking about this issue with them for a very long time even before they got elected so it's right. that long-term change like so now you have 15 people in queens who are in office supporting this plan but that didn't happen overnight that was a long-term play where we were just all talking with these folks to anyone who was willing to hear it and yeah over time now there are as it so happens, enough people in office who support this plan that, that makes a big difference. Whereas 10, 10 years ago, that wasn't the case because we weren't talking about it on a consistent basis to these folks. Right. You know what I mean? So it is that long-term pressure. And you have to have faith that things are gonna move in the right direction if, if you do your part to move it. It's like you know, trying to push a big boulder. You might not see it move right in front of you, but enough people keep doing it, it is gonna move over time. Um, right. A quote I think about is Mother Teresa, not to get all religious, but, you know, she was always asked about if she ever had doubts. And she said, absolutely, she doubted her faith. And she said that you don't actually have faith if you don't have doubts. So you have to be able to acknowledge that, that, you know, you're not a true believer if you don't ever doubt it either. Mm, mm. Yeah, and it's, it, yeah, it's healthy too. And it's, it's normal, it's natural, um, you know, and it's not a, it's not a reason to, to give up and it's not a reason to not take any sort of action. The only the only the surest way for nothing to ever change or nothing to get done is to do nothing. So, you know, and there's a lot of power in that because you have nothing to lose almost at that point. It's like, all right, if I'm not happy about a certain situation, if I do nothing, it's not going to change. If right. I do something, maybe it'll change. You could say maybe it won't. But, you know, that's not if you don't do anything. So you might as well go for it. You might as well put your effort into it. Right. Right. So that's that's what i'm up here for today um yeah trying to do that uh practice today so i don't go up there and, and screw up <laughs> yeah that's definitely a good fight to fight um speaking of which the governor signed measures into law to aid domestic violence survivors mm. and they're meant to ensure the privacy of victims and survivors there's a five law package actually that was signed October marks domestic violence awareness month so it's appropriate I actually just recently discovered that a bill that I drafted was signed into law last year about domestic violence it creates a domestic violence advocate client privilege similar to the attorney client privilege where it protects confidential communications made between domestic violence advocates and their clients and this way it incentivizes open communication because the victim now doesn't have to fear that what they say could be used in court. In other words, the advocate cannot be compelled to testify as to this private information anymore. You would think that that would be already the law, but it wasn't until yeah, you would last think year it was signed into law. Right. Yeah. Um, I was actually surprised to see it because I was meeting with the domestic violence advocate and we were talking about some of the reforms we might want to work on. So I brought up this bill and I knew that it had passed the state Senate 
And I just didn't know that it passed the assembly and was signed by the governor. That was actually news to me. So I looked up the bill because we want to talk about the details behind the legislation. I said, let me pull this up. We can kind of have a better conversation on it. I saw it. It said passed assembly signed by governor. I was like, wow. And actually, Governor Cuomo at the time, this was before he left office last year, he made a statement on it, which was, again, it's like I'd never even noticed this. I think because I was in the middle of my campaign when this was happening, it kind of just got past me. Um, so there you go. It is state law now. It's New York state law that you have a domestic violence advocate client privilege. So if you're a domestic violence victim speaking with an advocate, that <laughs> advocate cannot be compelled to testify in court anymore. And they didn't call you. They didn't call you and be like, oh, well, we passed your bill, man. No, no. And, you know, and, and, and I wrote it, I, I drafted the language for it when I was working in Albany as legislative director and counsel in the Senate in the office of Senator Sanders. So he had sponsored it. And then was, of course, also an assembly sponsor. But what happens is that was back in 2016 when we introduced that legislation. And so a lot of these, again, a perfect example of, of long-term pressure, right? right? A lot right. of these don't, in fact, almost all of them don't get passed right away. It's year after year, they get put back in. And yeah. so some of these bills are five, 10 years old. Some are even longer and right. they finally get passed. But so, so now the senator, he's had a few different legislative directors. I'm sure he doesn't know which ones helped bring forward which bills because he's got like a collection of bills now that were, right. you know, piling up over the years. And so it was it was one of his bills, but it, it was a bill. I mean, I, I definitely recognize it from 2016 because at the time I was thinking, all right, what legislation do we want to introduce in New York? I kind of had uh, like a blank slate to, to just present ideas. We, I would discuss them with the senator and we would, we would go forward with them if he approved them. And that was one that I saw that was being done in other state legislatures. So like that was kind of one of the sources of my ideas. I said, let, let me look to see what's going on around the country in other states. And I, I might've been Connecticut. I forget which state was pushing this bill. I said, you know what? That would be great to do in New York. I was surprised we didn't already have it in New York. And so we drafted it for New York. Um, that was definitely one of the ones on my roster that I got in. And uh, now it feels good. And it's about 2016 to 2020, really it's 2021. So five years later, it took to become law, but it is law now. And uh, so I'm, I'm proud of that. I think it's something that's going to help uh, victims, you know, people who are struggling with domestic violence throughout the state. Absolutely. And, and speaking to that long-term thing, that the, there's that, um, that saying in the entertainment business, like uh, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. So Yes, yes, absolutely. I used to tell people that. Years ago, when you know I was doing stuff at Raucous and I had some things going on in, in hip hop in New York, people would contact me and, and they'd be like, "Oh, how'd you get there? How could I do what you do?" And I said, "You got to work at it. I mean, spend ten years grinding it out and be consistent, and you can get somewhere. But don't expect it to happen overnight." Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I guess the the the, the lesson here is to take to take action, even, even amongst doubts, even amongst fears and concerns and worries and cynicism, you know, still, it's still worth it to do the fight. You have to, yeah. you have to. Well, I don't oh, see any other choice. Oh, snap, did I just do the bottom line? What? That, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. That's the bottom line. That's like a retroactive bottom line. <laughs> or a pre, a pre bottom line. <laughs> yeah. So. Let's see. That's like uh, the Nas song rewinds. I could say line bottom the is what Carter J. Yeah, right. <laughs> Nas. Yeah, that's what's up. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, shout out to everyone joining us in the chat. You know, like 
it's funny. Uh, there's a laugh emoji on the live video, and I believe was that Lixa. Uh-huh. See, I don't think that they're intending to laugh at us doing this. <laughs> I think we probably said something they found funny over the course of the show, and they reacted with a laugh emoji. But now it goes on there like they're laughing at the video, which is that's funny. I don't mind it; it's just kind of funny to me. Yeah. Shout out to everyone joining us in the chat. I see Jeffrey, Masonette, I see Lixa, I see James. Yeah. But that's what's that's what's up. That's what's up. It looks like they have a good uh, conversation in the chat, and it's great. Um, again, everyone. Um, if you're not following us on YouTube, go to YouTube and subscribe. Um, we actually just hit 20,000 views on, on everything. Um, so that's that's pretty dope. Um, Colt, the polls are definitely getting some traction there. Um, so do we get one of those fancy award graphics for 20,000 like we did for 10,000? Um, yeah, yeah, we get one of those. I, uh, I sent that over to you. Did you? Yeah, I sent it to, the, to your... Um, in the chat, I sent you a link to it. Okay, I must have missed that one. Yeah. All right, so that will be posted. So steady, steady progress. And I think it's, you know, it's good. You know, um, there's been some good conversations and some good discussions and dialogue here. Um, so I think it's, it's all the good thing. Yes. And before we wrap up, I do want to shout out the Ozone Park Block Association and the Lions Club. Uh, Howard Beach is at Ozone Park, Howard Beach, Woodhaven, Lions Club, for putting on the first ever Ozone Park Awards Gala this past week. I had the pleasure to attend. It was a great success at the Roma View Catering Hall in Howard Beach. In fact, that place was packed out. Next year, they're going to have to go to a bigger spot because uh, they're not going to be able to fit everyone in this. The event sold out, and it was great to see some of the people out there supporting the community and those who make it such a great place. What's up? So why don't you, I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, but where can people find us for those who don't know? Right. We are on YouTube. Uh, look up Nuance with Mike Scala and Jay Carter. Um, subscribe to the channel there. Uh, if you are interested in podcasts, we are everywhere podcasts are. So Spotify, Apple, Amazon, um, I even think it's an iHeart as well. Um, yes, it's just said Spotify. Spotify definitely is out there. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, it seems like in the analytics, the most listens come through from Apple uh, podcast platforms. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so go there, subscribe to us. Uh, if you do this on the podcast, it automatically gets pushed to your podcast listening device, which can be your phone or computer. And so, yeah, definitely check that out. Yes. We need a website to, to put all this stuff on as well. I don't know. Yeah, that would be good. Maybe some social media pages. Yeah. So. But we appreciate everyone. Of course, don't forget to like and subscribe, share if you can. It always helps. Uh, James, what's the score in the Yankees game? I know James is watching the Yankees game. Yeah. Let's see, see what's going on there. But um, again, again thank you to Justin for, for joining us. That was um, really interesting to hear. So we had links. I think we had links to the book. Uh, 
in the chat. And also be Yanks. Uh, see, I said Yanks because as I was saying that, James's James's message came through in the chat, and he said the Yankees won. So they won five uh, to one. I just saw that. Good. So the Yankees advanced to the championship series. All right, bring on the Astros. Yeah. So I I hope that doesn't happen to me to today when I'm doing the speech. Like, yes. And then Dr. Martin Luther King said the Yankees won. Wait, hold on. <laughs> That's not what I want to say. Well, I know you got some rehearsing to do, so we can wrap this thing up. Yeah, some rehearsing. I need to get some food first, and then I'm going to be running through this speech. It's uh, you know, fifteen. That's about fifteen minutes long. So, not bad. Yeah. So, by the way, speaking of, of speeches, you know, there was some question about when I spoke at the Queensland rally. I mentioned that we're not against parks. We like parks. We like puppies too. But we have to do what's best for the most people, transportation. There was some confusion about that. I think some of the reporting maybe misconstrued that. I mean, maybe that's partly my fault because of how I said it. The Queenslink plan is a compromise plan between trains and parks. So I didn't really mean to be like completely dismissive of parks. I mean, I did say we like parks. That's, that wasn't there. We like parks. We like puppies too. So yeah, that, that, that does, I get it. That, that kind of comes off like, you know, maybe. And I'll flip it. Yeah, a little flipping. And it was meant to be kind of like kind of a funny quip. But I did want to be clear that we're definitely not against parks. We just don't want the parks to come at the expense of the train. That's really the big point. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw the those clips that um, everyone seemed to to reference it as well. Like, didn't Sanders say something and then um, someone else said something? Maybe it was Khalil. I don't know. Yeah, it came up a few times and I put up a video on that. I'm going to keep putting up a few different videos from the rally to kind of show the highlights of it and keep that momentum going like we said it's a long fight you can't just do a one and done you got to keep it up keep it up so that's one way absolutely. to do it absolutely absolutely to everyone listen please keep the conversation going about this issue queen's link everything we talk about whatever is important to you make sure that we keep talking about it and keep making noise on it it's you know it's not good enough to just say it once especially these days with all the noise right to tie it all together all the noise that we have in our daily lives in our society Things get lost in the mix very easily. So that consistency is key. Absolutely. Oh my God. It sounds like a second bottom, second line. bottom line for the first time ever. Look at this. Two exactly. for the price. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 definitely true. It's good, good to do. Uh, appreciate um all the well wishes in the chat and people joining us. Um and our guests. Um yes. we've got some other guests coming up as well um in the weeks to come. So that's great, you know. Yeah. Thank you all as always, and we'll catch you next time.